I'm going to start off with a quote today. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. A quote is from Tim Keller. Uh, The book is a book about marriage called The Meaning of Marriage. And it it strikes at so much of what we'll study today, how we see uh, God's Word, how we see the genealogy of Matthew and how it's been laid out, uh, the path that has kind of gone before us so far in our studies uh, of this. It is very easy for us to focus on the worst. If I said to you today, raise your hand if you had something amazing happen to you this week. All right? Some of us would say, yeah, something amazing or something really good. And, but if I, if I said, hey, I need a volunteer to come and tell me uh, something you'd like to complain about that went wrong this week. It would be a little bit easier to come up sometimes with things that didn't go well. So we focus easily on that mishap or that mistake or that something that somebody else did that didn't, didn't go well. And in some senses, we can be hard on ourselves too. We can go back to that worst thing that happened, that worst mistake that we made. It can be very devastating to our spiritual walk. And I want to take some time today to confront it in a healthy place, in a healthy way, and to say that God's love is better than our worst. It can be very easy to focus on our worst. And and today, as we see uh, this verse, in light of how Matthew's genealogy is is laid out for us, we will see uh, some bad, but we will see God's love as bigger than all of that. All right, a couple things. Pastors have three points. You got three of them today. Here we go. First one says this. Jesus' genealogy shows generations of human turmoil. Verse 17 says, So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14. David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And then from the deportation uh, to Babylon to the Christ for 14 generations. So they have three groups of 14 generations. I'm not here to give a math lesson today or to go back and trace exactly how all those uh, came together. Now, it's my belief fully that uh, being a, a gospel for the Jewish people, uh, they would have understood Matthew's purpose. It's a focus on uh, the kingship, the line of David. We know that, that Jesus is qualified to be the Messiah who came and to uh, rule in that sense as a ruler on David's uh, throne. Mathematically, uh, Hebrew, the language uh, ties to math sometimes, and, and David's name is a name that comes up to 14. And so there's no mistake that Matthew is grouping the generations in 14 to make a point that Jesus is qualified to to rule on the throne of David as the Messiah, as was promised. So that's part of what's going on here. But uh, we see here turmoil. And I am so glad in understanding who our Lord is 
that God, in His Word, in talking about the genealogy of His Son, is not afraid to put the family baggage out on the page for everyone to see. This is one of the things that is so... <coughs> excuse me. So... Um, it will, it will block our ability to experience love from other people and to experience love from God. If all we do is try to compare ourselves to somebody else, we can always find somebody who's got a little worse than we do and feel a little bit better because of that. That's not the goal and that's not love. God puts all of it out here on the page. There is turmoil, there is sin, there is rebellion, there is all kinds of stuff in this genealogy where God, and in these generations where God says to us very blatantly, look, my kids are messed up. For those of you that use social media, there aren't very many posts, if you look at all the posts in the next week about holiday times, that are going to be from parents who are drawing attention to the fact that their kids are messed up. Okay, and even if they put that out there, they probably still get judged by the Facebook mob. Okay, <laughs> so I'm not encouraging you to do that. Please spare your children the embarrassment. <laughs> All right, but this is what God does for us, and it's helpful. He puts things out there. If you think about the cast of characters that are gathered in this genealogy, just a quick review. A prostitute, foreigners, a murderer, an an adulterer, a child sacrificer, on and on we could go. There are some really successful, some some really spiritually prosperous people. I don't want to leave that out. But there is a lot of turmoil. If you put all these people together for a family, a Christmas dinner, there are some people who would want a metal detector first. So everybody could be checked out before they come in the door. And the kids' table is going to be like way over in another room away from some of these characters. And not to say that some of them aren't even redeemed from some of the, or forgiven from some of the sins that they committed, but it's all here. And it's out there. Go back to that quote in the beginning about being vulnerable. A way to establish connection is to be known. God is making himself known. We're going to see his character here today. Now, for those of you that are, are shopping... Uh, this time of year. I hope you don't overdo it. Don't go into debt for Christmas. Uh, that's just random, and you're, you're able to take that and write that down. <laughs> Pastor said don't go into debt for Christmas. Uh, don't do that. But if you're going to spend some time thinking about spiritual realities, sometimes I enjoy things like this. Here you go. Here's a picture of a mug, and it's got Santa's face on it, and it says, You're all naughty. This is a type of thing that the Bible does to us. And it has real scripture references on there. I don't have them on the screen, but if you want to write down Romans 3 and 10 through 12, it's not good. It says we're all really bad people. And we need a lot of help. And so in this sense, this is what, what God's love should do to us. We should come from a place where we're humbled, where we're not in our minds going, Oh, God, uh, you don't have to forgive me as much as you have to forgive somebody else because I'm just a little bit better than they are. And you get into this negotiation with God. No, like we're evil to our core and wicked and in sin and we need help. We're going to see that as we go. And if we can get that vulnerable with God, if we can get that way, it helps us to to have a more intimate, a closer relationship with Him. 
The more and more that we kind of tiptoe around and we, we hem-haw and we, like God knows it all anyway. We might as well get it out there with him so we can relate to him well. He does that in the, in the genealogy and through some of these characters. Now, it, it may stir up some hurt. It may stir up the past. It may stir up some emotion. But uh, let's understand, and, and we're in this together. This isn't just Kevin against everybody else. We're in this together. We need the love of God, and we need to put ourselves in touch with our weakest places, our sins, maybe even some of those places in our past where we did some things that we're really not proud of. In fact, maybe we're just disgusted that we did those things, and we're not even sure that God can love us because Satan reminds us over and over and over about those things and how guilty he thinks we should be. Until we get that way with God, we don't experience love. And so uh, I do that today uh, to say that, yes, there's turmoil in this story. But it's not just about how bad it is. Verse 17, all the generations in the three groups, Abraham, Abraham to David, David to the deportation, and then from the deportation to the Christ, these three groups aren't just to show us how bad it is. If that was the point, it probably would have just ended at verse 16, and verse 17 would have said, huh, losers, all of them. And we might have shook our heads in agreement and said, okay, yeah, that was terrible. But no, it keeps going forward. And so, while there's generations of human turmoil, there are also generations of kept promises. We have to think about the people that are on the page. And we have to go back into some of their stories and see how God was relating to them. And this is where we get so much, so much help. How about Genesis 12? We've been studying this as part of the life of our church for quite a bit this calendar year. I want to remind you of these promises that God made to Abraham. Clear back 2,000 years before this genealogy ever could have been considered. I'll make of you a great nation. Bless you and make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now is this just a wishful thinking? that God would meet a guy named Abraham and his, uh, before he moved up and went away from his family and carried out the purposes and walked by faith and all the lessons that, that we've been learning throughout this year? Is it just wishful thinking that God would do this? Or is this like a real, actual promise that God was intending to keep? Generations, three groups of generations, God is keeping this promise that through Abraham and his example of walking in faith, all peoples on earth will be blessed. It's amazing. Christ comes. We see the vision shift away from primarily Israel and those that are relating to them and and this explosive move of God away from just Israel and then to the nations. We see that. Generations of promises. A simple Google search of Love and generations. Okay, you may think, man, we're talking about the love of God and all we got is this verse 17 at the end of the genealogy. And so so I did. I typed in love and generations. I was like, I'm going to show them that the generations 
Have something to do with the love of God on Love Sunday for Advent. That's what I did. I was like, I'm going to find this out. Well, here, look what I found. <laughs> Exodus 34. I'm down there in the middle. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousands, and depending on your translation, you'll see thousands of generations there. It keeps going, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, what? Visiting iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And so you see love and you see generations coming together. You may have some difficulty just like some of these Bible characters, as you look backward, or as you look in, in your past, as you think about the generation of your family or the one that came before that, and you may have some, some really difficult circumstances. You think about your own life. You think, could God ever really be faithful to me as, as difficult as I have made things, the terrible sins that I have committed? Is it really possible that God would love me? I'm not comfortable right now. I wasn't comfortable working through this this week. I'm not comfortable saying this. I'm not comfortable uh, inviting you into it because I know that for some of us in the room that it brings us to a place of discomfort. And I know that's not a whole lot of fun. But I want us to think about the love of God going from generation to generation to generation. Three groups of 14. The promises are kept and it stays. Your life might sound a whole lot like James 4. I don't have these scriptures up here. If you're a note taker, just write down James 4 and 1 through 6. And your life might sound a whole lot like 1 through 5 where they have believers that are doing all this crazy stuff. They hate each other. They envy each other. There's murder, adultery, associating with the world instead of associating with the Lord. And you may say, yeah, uh, my life sounds more like that than something that would be, uh, would be great in God's eyes. But at, at verse 6, it just says, but He gives more grace. You have to ask yourself, is it really possible that God loves us enough to forgive us? Is it really possible that His love is that consistent? You might think, boy, the people in my life who are supposed to provide consistent love, they're not here anymore. Or something broke down in our relationships. And it's not consistent. How, how can God do that? And, and we, we take our own circumstances and we, we then project that onto God and I want to I prevent you from doing that. I want you to see desperately today that God is a God who will keep His promises and He can be consistent in His love over generations and over time, over thousands of years in ways that, that we can't sometimes keep going for more than a few days at a time if we're doing well. It doesn't make God weak that the people are disobedient. It makes it real. And what it does is it makes God glorious. I think it makes God more glorious when we see this, when we get to verse 17 and we get through all this cast of characters and He is still with them. He still wants to do something about it. He's still patient and loving and pursuing So yes, there's turmoil over the generations, but the promises were kept. 
God's promises kept the, the story going, kept it glued together, kept it in place when the people involved weren't able to do that. And so let's think today about the Christ. Abraham to David, David to the deportation to Babylon, the deportation to Babylon to the Christ. The Christ. Jesus. The Messiah. The one who was prophesied, promised to come by the Old Testament prophets. Let's dig in today. Just for a few precious moments, let's, let's dig in today to the amazing love of God. Let's dig into His character Character. What do you do when you want to know somebody's character? Well, if you just met somebody and didn't know who they were, you might look them up. You might Google them, see if something comes up. Well, okay, no. Uh, you might go on your county's uh, criminal page and you might type in, see if they've got a record or something like that. You might, you might do that. When I was going through this... <laughs> It actually reminded me of, a, of a, a group I was a part of. They were hiring somebody and got down to like the final two and called a reference and somebody, the reference said, I'm not going to say anything, but you should probably Google this person. And they Googled a person. This was for a non-profit hire and the person had been involved in a, a, a pretty large uh, non-profit fraud scheme. So there's another fair piece, free piece of advice this morning: is just do your work when you're hiring people. But sometimes you can find those things out about our character. If somebody wanted to find out about our character, what would they do? They might, they might take a look at, at our past and go back and talk to some of the people uh, that we knew or that we worked with. They might talk to our family. They might dig some things up and say, "Well, you know, that person really didn't like them, and something went wrong back in the day." and we might readily admit our sins, say, yeah, I blew that. I was a, a real jerk back then. That's not my, my whole character. And so in our minds, maybe we're back to the picture on the Santa mug. And while we think it's cute that Santa's on the mug and says, well, you're all naughty, now we have to, now we have to, to deal with attention. Do we really believe that we've all sinned? Do we really all believe that we're helpless before God? Or do we just continue to play a comparison game? It's a crisis of character. None of us can pass the morality test. We're not able to do that. What will we do to find out God's character? We went searching him well we would do the same thing wouldn't we we would look at his historical track record and that's what the genealogy here in Matthew 1 allows us to do it's what the whole of scripture allows us to do we see his faithfulness throughout the generations we read the stories of the faithfulness and the fall And this leader had it together and this one was completely evil. And why couldn't it just stay this way? And all these questions that come running, but God is is still involved in the history and moving it forward. We can go back from creation 
to this point in Matthew, about 4,000 years, if you just add up the numbers that are here, you wonder why it took so long for Jesus to come, why there's a, a victor over evil promised in Genesis 3, and why did it take 4,000 years to get to, to Matthew, but it's God's character, it's over time, and he never gave up. He never gave up. He kept the promise. It's God's character. And in, in many ways, in the Christmas story, we see that character. Mary is amazing. She's amazing. She loves the Lord. She hears. And despite any fear that she might have, she, she obeys. Her, her faith is brilliant. It's magnetizing. You're just drawn into how can such a young girl in such a troubled state act in such phenomenal obedience? It shows a lot of it truly. We wonder, would she be capable of this? Joseph, the same way, he starts off kind of like you might expect. Well, I'm going to distance myself from this. I'm going to try to do so respectfully, but I can't be involved in this. And then God gets a hold of him, and, and he's faithful. And he does what he's supposed to do. God directly communicates in this story. He sends angels to calm fears. Or people who might otherwise panic and flip out and have no idea what they're supposed to do. And he, the, what do the angels say? They do not be afraid. And God is communicating directly. And, and we see God's love in, in uh, 21 when it says, A Savior is born. What a loving thing to look on people in need of rescue, evil, and in sin, and unable to do anything about it. And God, rather than saying, why don't you all just go get what you deserve? He says, no, I will, I will send my son. And I'll save. We see his love. We see his character in so many ways in this story. But if you feel this crisis this morning, that if we're looking at our character, we're studying it, and we know there's this tension, we know that it can't be resolved, we see God's act. We see the end of verse 17 in the way that the crisis resolves. What should happen to all of us in resolving this crisis is that every single one of us pays to God the debt that we owe. That would be fair. Legally and in a justice sense, it would be fair for us to have a list of all of our offenses read before God and to be forced to pay that debt in whatever way God laid out. That would be fair. We should pay. And if you're sitting here thinking about this today and you feel overwhelmed by your sin, overwhelmed by that picture, I do too. It brings me to tears at times. But it's the whole reason the thing ends here at 17. What's the very last thing that's said in this genealogy? The three groups. The risk of being repetitive. Abraham to David. David to the deportation. The deportation to the Christ. To the Christ! Yes! The one who would come. The one who would suffer. The one who would have victory. The one who would rise from the dead. You 
may wonder, why on earth would God send Jesus here to be born? Why, if he wanted to make a sacrifice for our sin, if he wanted to pay for it, why wouldn't he make the sacrifice in heaven where things are pure? It's a lot cleaner up there than it is down here. I don't know if you've ever had anybody that you've known that's been in in jail. I have. And I don't like going to jail to visit. I've done it a few times. But I don't like it. Why? Because it's not a comfortable place. It's an intimidating place. If that was God's attitude, I'd just kind of stay away until the sentence is up and then maybe I'll deal with somebody when I don't have to go to that place to visit them. If that was God's attitude, Jesus would have stayed in heaven. He wouldn't have wanted to come here. It would have been so uncomfortable for a pure and spotless and perfectly holy God to come to this sin-stained earth. He wouldn't have wanted to do that. But that's His character. That's His great love for us. The love that goes from generation to generation and holds the story together. A son born to bring about the kingdom of God on earth, to point to a future kingdom, but as a an adult to suffer and to die and to pay that punishment. It seems so unfair. From the deportation to the Christ, it's the character of God. He allows to happen to His perfect and spotless Son what should have happened to us. That's what changes us. When we get to our place where we're vulnerable with God and we say, I can't do it. I know, God, that you know all of this stuff about me and I'm so humbled. I know I can't fix it. I would if I could. I'd be desperate to go back and fix those sins and the consequences and the mistakes, but I can't do it. I just need Jesus' forgiveness so I can be something new and move on. I hope in those places where you're honest, I hope that God works, and he, even maybe now, where you're, you're starting to open up and say, yes, God, I know that you can forgive. I know that you love. I know that the Christ Jesus was born. He came for this because of love. I need to think about a response. How would we respond to it today? I think a great way would be to continue with after God revealed uh, his character to Moses in Exodus 34, look at the way this continued. Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. You're hearing today about the amazing love of God, its power in our lives. What's our response? Boy, what if we just, oh Lord, we worship you. I worship you today. I'm, I'm low. I'm humbled. You are high and exalted. And I worship you. If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. God, would you please do work in the midst of us? It's a stiff-necked people. Pardon our iniquity and sin and take us for your inheritance. Oh God, come and work in the middle of us. (laughs) We don't deserve it. We are so stubborn. We worship you, Lord, but we need your help. What a response right there in Scripture for us to see today.
for us this Christmas as we think about a, a baby born in humble circumstances, all the crisis, all the turmoil. We think of God's faithfulness that brought humanity to that point in time when His Son, the perfect Jesus, would come and be born a miraculous birth, a miraculous God, a miraculous Savior. We invite our worship team to come up. We're going to sing about God's faithfulness as we close today. I want to bow with you. I want to pray. I want to give God the space to work. If He's working now, if you need to stick around later, we pray through some things. I'm open to that. Ready to, to meet any need in prayer that we can. Um, find out some other things in Scripture about God's love, questions. Uh, please don't hesitate to ask. Don't hesitate to come as we sing. Don't hesitate to open yourself up today, right now, to how God might be communicating His love to you. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your love for us and I I pray that you will guide us in this time. I pray your Holy Spirit would draw us close. For somebody in this room right now who never committed to Jesus, never had a relationship with you, God, never asked for forgiveness, never experienced your love in a very tangible way, if that's you in this room and and you want to respond to this good news of Jesus today, right where you are, you can begin that relationship. God is calling you. You might as well answer and respond and say, I'll walk in faith. Lord, I need your forgiveness. I can't do it myself. Jesus came for me. I can't believe how much you love us. But it's amazing and I want to know it. I want to experience it. Oh, Lord, forgive me. Wash away my sin because Jesus died. He suffered. He bled. He was brutally killed for our sins.